Welcome to Barbecue Radio Network, America's premier barbecue radio show. Join your hosts, David Caius and Andy Groneman, as they sink their teeth into the finest grilling, smoking, and barbecue from coast to coast with the industry's leading pitmasters. Stay tuned for great tips, techniques, and products that will enhance your backyard experience by being a part of the Barbecue Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to Barbecue Radio Network, where we share all the tips and tricks from the leaders and legends in the barbecue world. I'm your host, Andy Groneman, along with our executive producer, T-Bone, and my co-host this week, winner of the best burn-ins in Kansas City. He is the flavor guru behind Plowboy's Barbecue product, Todd Johns. What's going on, Andy? Well, not too much, but we have a returning guest today, and we love having her because she is so much fun and she has so much knowledge to share and some amazing stories to tell along the way. Anytime you get to talk to the hardcore carnivore, it is going to be a blast. She is a meat expert, an author, live fire cook, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, meat specifically dealing with and working with frozen meat. So can't wait to talk to Jess Pryles. Check out everything that she's doing on JessPryles.com, J-E-S-S-P-R-Y-L-E-S.com. And of course, you can find her on all the social media outlets simply by typing in Jess Pryles. And in our fourth segment, we're going to head on over to Burger Town with Todd. He is going to talk about all things burgers, we're going to talk about grinding some trim if you've got trim left over from that brisket that you put on the smoker last weekend. Cuts to use, best cooking methods. What I mean, what are we going to You know, spring's here, Andy, so it is time to get the grill out. It's time to uh, just spend a lot of time outside cooking over live fire. So I am in a burger mood, and uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of trim that I've stored up from over the winter, so... Yeah, I'm ready for some burgers, buddy. All right, so we're going to hit on that. And, you know... What's fun is we've got, you know, I just finished a cure camp this week and coming up next week is the NFL draft. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're, we're, we're both at the same event that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So the NFL draft in Kansas city, uh, here in Kansas city and, uh, it's, it's a big deal. Like the town is turning out. Kansas City's about two and a half million people in the metro, and they're projecting like 300,000. So that's like taking our city and adding like, what, 10, 15% to the population? It's going to be insane. Yeah. And I think there's, and there's several other places that are having huge draft parties right with, in other markets yeah yeah and and even in kansas city i know there's some some chiefs players and things i think kelsey's host kelsey's a got a big event. party so uh part as part of the experience is happening at union station um and right across from the world war one memorial the only world war one memorial in the country uh it's kind of taking up that whole complex they started setting up the stage and everything like you know three weeks ahead of this thing so uh, yeah, so there's a uh, being in Kansas City, there's going to be a barbecue experience. And so this thing's uh, going to have a like contest. And I think you're cooking in a contest. Yeah, like they're having chicken a, or something. Yeah, they're having a barbecue showdown as part of that draft yep, yep. experience. And uh, they're going to do three categories. I'm cooking uh, against a couple of other uh, barbecue competitors in chicken. I think they're doing a ribs one. And then they're going to have a, a burn-in category. And then the winner from each category goes head-to-head head to head on head, a KC strip. Yep, yep. So so I'm going to get to MC one of the stages uh, where all that's happening. So, uh, 
you know, put put the thick skin on, buddy. I'm going to be uh, talking some smack, I think, to you. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect any less. <laughs> but we're going to have we're going to have some former NFL players being the judges, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. And also, there's going to be local vendors, local restaurants that are going to be out there, like Chef Jay and Scott's Kitchen, Buck Tui. Oh yeah, going to be people out. are going to get to experience the the best that Kansas City's yeah. got to offer. Yeah, they're going to they're going to get to have some really good Kansas City barbecue too. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a madhouse. Well, it, it's been kind of neat even seeing that at the Royals Stadium. Like yeah. this is the first year that they've had uh, a barbecue experience really there. And I know that uh, we've got some of our, our local craft pit masters kind of uh, tag teaming that space. But the feedback I've gotten has been that it's just phenomenal. It's, so it's bringing craft barbecue out to Kauffman Stadium for the Royals, and you know they brought out two thousand gallon offset smokers. And I mean, it's the first time they've ever had anything like that out there. So it's really cool the barbecue scene that's happening here. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Well, it's time now for our Ask Andy segment, which is brought to you this month by Plowboy's Hothead Barbecue Sauce, which you can get, of course, at all things barbecue. So just head on over to ATBBQ dot com search for hothead and off you go and don't forget if you follow us on facebook submit a question t-bone will be sending you a signed copy of the barbecue bible and a barbecue radio network t-shirt if we choose your question right t-bone that is correct andy all right well what do you have for us today nicholas coakley from hartford wisconsin yes sir says hey andy How can I get my Traeger Ironwood 885 to run more efficiently and consistently? (laughs) Here's the kicker. It was 19 degrees when I was cooking lamb chops and my temp was all over the place. That pellet grill has a downdraft exhaust and they don't make a blanket for it. Well, so that uh, that is an interesting quandary to have. And I would say probably the first thing to do is look at the pellets that you're using. Um, the harder the wood and the pellets, the better. Um, I usually suggest something uh, like a premium grilling pellet. Barbecuer's Delight is a great one. Um, any of uh, any pellet that is mostly hardwood is going to be your best bet. There are some pellets out there that are cherry, and they say they're 100% cherry. Well, there is less BTUs in that pellet than, say, a, a, a hard oak pellet. Uh, or a mesquite pellet and the the higher and harder the wood the more btus you're going to get out of it i think another thing in selecting pellets is looking at um, are they pretty much a uniform size or do you have a lot of long and shorts because as the auger or whatever mechanisms pushing that into the fire pot um, it could create some bridging it could create some air gaps that you're not getting a consistent fuel feed if yeah that makes yeah 100 percent. and so you know, if you're if you're looking at at that, you're going to number one want to have a good a good solid hardwood pellet that is consistent in size, and then just plan on using twice as much fuel because as your pit is figuring out the temperature outside and it's pulling in cold air, uh, it's going to run more fuel through to try and get to the temperature that you want. So plan on using more fuel. And then, you know, when I have a pit that doesn't have the ability to have some type of a thermal jacket, I just use a welding blanket. Right, right welding over the blanket. Top of it. You bet. You know, and I wouldn't worry too much about those fluctuations either. And you know, your your oven in your home will fluctuate. So it's really it's really about just paying attention to that final uh, that final finish temp. 
Yeah, because you're going to, again, you will you might run through pellets a little quicker, so watch your hopper, but you're going to get your meat to the finish temp. You just want to make sure that it gets there. If it's super windy out, maybe put a wind block, you know, put a, uh, a folding table or something up next to where that air comes in so that you're not getting a cold draft right into yeah. the pit. But in general, you'll be able to cook on that thing, and the nice thing about a pellet cooker is it does have controls that are designed to manage temperature uh, and it's going to work harder and harder to get to your set temp. So for example, if it's sitting at 150 and it's not climbing and you've got it set at 300, it's going to increase that feed rate and just continue to do that until uh, you get to the temp you want. Andy, I'm just going to call you for all of my tips and tricks. I'm just going to have you on speed dial. Andy, what what do I do? I thought you already did. I thought yeah. that's what I thought you just used me for all of that, Todd. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you, Nicholas, for that question. And we will get a shirt headed your way to Hartford. Uh, and we'll also get you a copy of the Barbecue Bible from Stephen Reichlin. It is the 25th anniversary that he signed some copies for us when he was on a few weeks back. So, we are spreading the love with those. Uh, and coming up next, We are going to be talking with the hardcore carnivore, author and content creator, Jess Priles, from Australia to Austin. We're going to dig into the meat of some great topics. Uh, Check out her website at JessPriles.com. You can see her amazing line of products at HardcoreCarnivore.com. And when you're out at the Jess Pryles site, go ahead and click and subscribe because you're going to want to get access to all of her awesome uh, content that she has available. So coming up next, Jess Pryles right here on Barbecue Radio Network. Need some sizzle in your life? Turn us on, fire us up, and don't look back. Check out Barbecue Radio Network on Facebook. We build a grill, Holstein Manufacturing. You have a better recipe for when you grill. Better ingredients, better cuts of meat, and because you're using a grill from Holstein Manufacturing, well, a better grill. You take grilling seriously, and at Holstein Manufacturing, we make a serious grill. Find your new grill now at HolsteinMFG.com. We build a grill, Holstein Manufacturing. Holstein Manufacturing, we build a grill. Welcome back to the award-winning Barbecue Radio Network. I'm Andy Groneman, along with T-Bone, our executive producer, and my co-host, American Royal Invitational winner, Pork and Brisket World Champion, Todd Johns. And we have a returning guest this week. It is always exciting to have her on the show. Jess is a meat maven. She co-founded the Australasian Barbecue Alliance. She's an author, a meat expert, and you can find all of her amazing content at JessPriles.com. That is J-E-S-S. P-R-Y-L-E-S dot com, including her internationally acclaimed hardcore carnivore seasoning line. Jess, welcome to the show. That's a heck of an introduction, Andy. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So last time you were on, you had just launched the burn end sauce as part of your seasoning line. How's that going? Give me the update. Yeah, it's going great. You know, it's the first sauce and the only sauce in our line, and it was very specifically designed for burnt ends, not just a generic barbecue sauce. Of course, I've managed to find a million different uses <laughs> for it as as these things go. But 
oh my gosh, it's just been so well received and people are really into the flavor, but it's actually all about the texture. We really engineered it with the right ingredients that it will hold the same texture when you reheat it, which a lot of barbecue sauces won't. So everyone's stoked on it. And that's what was great. Last time we really got to kind of dive into the behind the scenes of that and, and talk about, you know, when sauces break and what happens. And, you know, Speaking of that, you were finishing up uh, your meat science certificate at ISU last time we were talking too, and literally, you know, we l- just love to dive into that. So, are you done? Are you are you officially uh, complete with that program? I am officially done. I am officially a meat scientist. My professor said that that I am, so therefore I am. <laughs> well, exactly. So now, what I want to do is, you know, since you are a meat scientist now, what is the most asked question? that you get as a uh, professional that can obviously talk all things meat. Yeah, I do so much meat myth busting online that people now send me things and always tag me in questions. And I think the one that keeps coming up that confuses people most is just our all around frozen meat and defrosting and refreezing meat that, you know, how many times can you do it? How long is it? Okay. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it is interesting. So when you think about like a commercially frozen meat product, it's usually blast chilled, right? So Mm -hmm. you're, you're not breaking through the cell walls with these long stringy, you know, ice crystals. The structure doesn't have time to form versus freezing or refreezing at home where you might have a, a little bit longer process to get that cold. What, what does that do? What's the texture and, and, and the juiciness change. How does all that change? So that blast chill is everything for what we call drip loss, which is definitely the juiciness. It's how much moisture that piece of meat can retain because of course it's made up of 75% water. But I think more than anything, the biggest, you know, the biggest overarching thing is you can refreeze and defrost a piece of meat as many times as you want. It's never going to affect the safety. It is only going to affect the meat quality with things like what we were talking about just then in, in terms of how juicy it's going to be, or maybe it's got a little bit of freezer burn and start getting um, uh, oxidative rancidity. So that's going to develop some off flavors. But I think that the main thing is like people are concerned, you know, and I know I, in my early, early days have probably thrown something out of the freezer, just assuming, oh, well, it's been in there for two years, must be bad. And it's, it's absolutely not. Um, and, and so I kind of encourage people go and dig through the very deepest, darkest drawer of your freezer <laughs> and fish something out for dinner. But you know where else it, it becomes important. It becomes important if you're big into barbecue, when you see, meat on sale at the grocery store and you want to take advantage of it, but maybe you don't have, you know, a spare 18 hours to to cook that brisket right then. (laughs) That's exactly right. So you can freeze it. um, And then maybe you've defrosted it thinking this is going to be the weekend. And then of course other things happen. And then as long as you've kept it under 40 degrees in that safe zone, you can freeze and defrost as much as you want. Um, from a meat nerd point of view, because I know you have a lot of meat nerd listeners, I would say that the main consideration is if you're trying to wet age, um, just be aware that aging stops once you freeze it. So if you're going to just hold it in a vacuum seal in the fridge, especially for things like brisket, pork butts, um, you you will be aging it. But as soon as you freeze it, that aging pauses. 
And so like I pull something out of the freezer and what about all of that liquid in the cryo bag? What ha- if I see a two cups of liquid in the cryo bag, what, what's that telling me? Uh, it's telling you that you've had a lot of drip loss. So it is, you can expect that, that it's probably been an older piece of meat. It's been in that, uh, that vacuum seal a little longer. And unfortunately it does mean that that's no longer juicy, uh, water that's in the meat itself. But I, I you know, I wouldn't start, uh, panicking at that stage. <laughs> it can still be a great eating experience, especially depending on the cut and especially depending on the grade, because oftentimes, the more fat that's present and the marbling can give a mouthfeel of juiciness, even when that actual water is lost. Yeah, and, and having had restaurants, you know, four restaurants for 10 years, uh, we call that money is what we call the, <laughs> the liquid yeah. in the bottom. You know, it's, it's purge that, um, you know, just doesn't give you the yield in it from a commercial standpoint, but meat quality, definitely. Um, any tips that you have for, you know, how to best freeze um, zero oxygen packaging? Um, you know, what, yeah, what would you be definitely your tips? want, you definitely want to try and, and use vacuum seal. And ironically, e- even those vacuum sealers that a lot of us who hunt have, they're not actually the, the same barrier as the processes are using. So um, they're not going to last as long as a commercially vacuum sealed product. And you should be aware of that. And when I say last as long, of course, again, we're just talking about quality. It just means that that product is going to be susceptible to ice crystals and freezer burn. And the other thing is, as, as y'all have brought up, you want to try and chill it as fast as possible to prevent mm-hmm. large ice crystals from forming. It's going to be hard for the majority of us because I do not have a blast chiller in my home. But if you do have a mate who has a blast chiller, I would uh, <laughs> take take around a bottle of wine and your best <laughs> best pieces of meat and take advantage of it. You know, it. at all my classes, I always ask people to start a GoFundMe for my blast chiller. <laughs> and I, I have yet to have anybody do that. But you know, it's there are you some... haven't made it attractive enough. You know, yeah. you've got to give it a good name. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I, when I'm freezing like a whole brisket, I'll clear the racks around me and I make sure I've got it on a wire rack versus a glass, a piece of glass in the freezer. Uh, some people have like glass shelves. You want to use a wire rack type shelf so that you can get air circulating around it. And I'll put a little battery operated fan mm-hmm. and a block of dry ice in the regular freezer. And you would be amazed at how much that helps you get a big cut of meat like a brisket chilled down. Yeah, when we would yeah. when we would you know buy cases and you know put them in the freezer, we'd we'd put them up where the fans in the in the freezer are blowing that airflow and and turn them and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Well, we are talking with Jess Priles. Follow her exploits across all of the social with her handle at Jess Priles. Check out her products at HardcoreCarnivore.com. And while you're out there on the interwebs, don't forget to go to JessPriles.com. Subscribe so you don't miss out any of the meaty goodness by getting her recipes right to your inbox. So do you know what the JKF method is? If you don't stick around, epic steak crusts, more frozen facts up next with Jess Priles here on Barbecue Radio Network. Barbecue Radio Network is heard on radio stations from Hawaii to Florida. If you have a business centered around barbecue or the backyard lifestyle, please consider advertising with us. Contact us through our Facebook page or website at bbqradionetwork.com.
Welcome back to Barbecue Radio Network with my co-host, Pitmaster Todd Johns, our executive producer, T-Bone, and I'm your host, Andy Groneman. And we are back talking with Jess Pryles, and we have mentioned her award-winning seasonings and lots of great content, which includes the cookbook, Hardcore Carnivore. You can head over to hardcorecarnivore.com where you can pick up a signed copy of that cookbook. But we've been talking meat and how to manage it frozen, and we've got some other tips and tricks to hit on in this segment, but make sure you subscribe subscribe to get all of the recipes and articles and meaty bits at jessprials.com. Welcome back again, Jess. Let's go ahead and dive right back in. Let's do it. Let's get to the meaty bits. <laughs> That's right, the meaty bits. So, we were talking about, you know, cooking frozen meat and, and kind of managing uh you know that process and so I pulled that meat out of the fridge and it's got all of that purge and drip loss in it. What can I do to minimize uh, the effects of that in my cook. Is there anything, are there some tips that I can, you know, make sure that that steak is somewhat juicy and finishes nicely and, and has good texture still? You know, it's a really interesting question because obviously there are scientific applications that you can do to the meat. There are certain uh, chemicals and additives um, like uh, sodium erythorbate, like phosphates, that can return moisture. It's basically the same concept as brining, um, but obviously then brining is going to change the, the texture. texture of the meat. Right, right. And, and that, that's how we make uh, pastrami, for example, or corned beef. Um, I, I, I definitely want to let people know that if you see a little bit of juice in, the, in your bag, do not panic. Don't ring alarms. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad steak. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to take some kind of action to correct that steak because uh, oftentimes, especially if you've let it defrost for a long time in your refrigerator, you will have gotten some effects of aging as well, which can counteract the lack of juiciness by increasing tenderness too. But it's funny, you know, I know that in the barbecue world right now, there is more accessibility to a lot of these additives like nitrates, like erythorbate, like phosphate. Um, but what's weird is on the industry side of things, it's really heavily regulated to the point where if you go into like the university meat lab, they have to have a logbook for their nitrates because it's toxic when used in large amounts. So yeah, you have to have a Hasset plan to make bacon, it. right? You have to have a Hasset plan to make bacon. I mean, oh, well, yeah, it, commercially, I mean, you're so it. You do have to pay close attention to how you use those kind of products. Well, the issue is if you have if you use too much nitrates, and this is what was happening in the seventies, a compound called nitrosamine can form when the bacon when heat is applied to the bacon that has uh, like a certain percentage of of nitrates added, and the nitrosamine is the um, cancerous compound or carcinogenic compound rather. And so they learned that by decreasing the level, they can avoid the um, formation of nitrosamine. Therefore, even though bacon, this is where it all becomes, you know, you hear bacon being the scapegoat for everything. Yes, it's theoretically possible that if you put too many nitrates in, you could have nitrosamine form and therefore it would be a carcinogen but it doesn't happen because it's so heavily regulated, right? Yeah, correct. But when you're making it at home, you, it, it's something you need to be really careful of. And I know in competition as well, um, a lot of people use it sometimes to, I guess, fake a smoke ring, even though you're told not to judge a yeah, smoke right. ring. 
And um, so here's a here's a question for you, and I'm anxious to hear your take on this. So, you know, uh, we we travel and we teach cure camps and and do some of that. And one of the things that is more scary to me than you know just going out and buying that bag of of, of nitrate or nitrite prog two or whatever is you've got this movement of natural bacon right which means they're using you know celery juice powder and cherry powders and things to essentially still create that nitrate and nitrite reaction and and do those things but those are super hard to regulate what how in the world do you uh manage those kind of things what what's your advice for folks that are maybe looking at some of those natural products or trying to use them to get around using a nitrate so it's interesting because at the end of the day, those are still nitrates. They're just not purified and concentrated, right? Correct. So it's naturally, if you read the naturally packaging occurring. on uncured bacon, exactly, other than those naturally occurring. <clears throat> um, they're actually right now debating changing those so you can't call it uncured. I think natural is one thing, but the, the whole premise is that you shouldn't be calling cured bacon, uncured bacon, because it is still cured to a degree. But for the home user, which is what you're getting at, you know, those natural powders like the cherry, the celery powder, celery seed, that's, the issue with it is that it only has a very low amount um, of, of nitrite in it or nitrate in it rather. And so the problem is you might not get a proper cure on that product, which then has an issue if you're trying to get a long shelf life out of it. So yeah, basically... Yeah you're not properly preserving that product. And like anyone who hasn't sealed a mason jar full of canned goods properly and found it to be tremendously moldy when they've opened it, same thing can happen with your meat. Yeah. It, it just, it, that particular topic for me, you know, if somebody thinks they're doing the right thing, it's really hard to, because you can't really gauge the proper amount of, of your nitrates in a celery powder so it, it just makes it uh, it makes it a lot harder for that home user to try and, and leverage anything like that so I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you said that because that's exactly what you know worries me as you somebody that thinks they're out and using a product the right way they, they might not be <laughs> so I feel like it's like antibiotics you know it's like saying like oh well I'm feeling better and it's better for me to only take seven days not 10 days not realizing that if you don't take the whole course you're actually developing an immunity <laughs> you know it's that same sort of concept of you're not doing yourself a favor by using a product because there's cons to that product as well oh yeah so we're we were talking and we we went down a rabbit hole, everybody, but we uh, we were talking Sorry. about. No, no, no. That's a great rabbit hole to go down because uh, it's super interesting to me. Um, and that's really all that matters. It is. It is, Andy. <laughs> we're all here for you, buddy. Yeah, that's right. So but what I wanted to talk about was cooking that steak that we thawed. So the JKF method, give us a little insight there, because that's kind of uh you know, you you kind of brought that out to everybody and, and made a little splash with that, uh, you know, not recently, but it, you brought it back from, say, versus a reverse sear. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not new. There are chefs who have touted it. It's just how I found myself naturally cooking. I, I found myself moving away from reverse sear and naturally cooking with JKF, which is literally just keep flipping. And to flip the steak often, I, it, it's best um, over high heat charcoal grilling it gets you a really aggressive sear, which is what I like on my steaks because you're getting that Maillard reaction, you're developing flavor compounds, you're developing scent compounds, all of which contribute to our eating experience. 
And I found that I could have an incredible ribeye with a great kind of steakhouse crust on it in like 15 minutes instead of an hour for the reverse sear and then maybe being a bit tentative with the actual sear part of it because you're so paranoid about overcooking <laughs> now that now that you've got that perfect edge to edge, which is when I very first started cooking, what I found myself doing, I found myself being so focused on the medium rare inside that I wasn't doing a proper sear justice mm -hmm. and, and you're just robbing yourself of flavor. Yeah, I mean... And do you have a temperature that you like different for, say, a ribeye versus a strip? What's your take on that from a texture and, and, and mouthfeel perspective? What temp do you take a ribeye to versus a strip? I mean, there it's this, you, as you know, it's the same muscle. So I, I don't think that those are that different. Ribeye, of course, has a lot more um, intermuscular fat, actually. So you're going to have to render that down with the strip. You'll find it on the outside. But I find it more prevalent in steaks like a tri-tip, for example. I always take my tri-tips to like a 138. They're a little tougher. They're quite lean. And I just think that they do better leaning towards the medium side of medium rare. Yep. I would say that a culotte is the same too. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Head on over to JessPriles.com and check out all the recipes, videos, and products there. Follow all the smoke and fun and the social media at her handle, at Jess Priles. Thanks again. And coming up, we're going to be talking with Todd right here on Barbecue Radio Network. When it comes to barbecue, every pitmaster should start with the best beef and pork possible. That's why the top-rated barbecue restaurants from Texas to North Carolina choose Creekstone Farms Premium Black Angus Beef and All-Natural Duroc Heritage Pork. Go to shop.creekstonefarms.com and get the same briskets, burgers, ribs, and steaks served around the country delivered right to your door. Use promo code RADIO and get 10% off your entire order. Welcome back to Todd and Andy here on Barbecue Radio Network. You know, I just love it getting to talk to Jess because, you know, she's she's gives you this information in a way that is is super consumable. So immediately when we're talking about frozen meat and I'm like, oh, my God, there's two cups of juice in the bag. <laughs> like she walks you off the ledge. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, she takes all that meat science and has all that knowledge, but she's really applying it for those of us that just cook at home, you know? So, uh, man, I, I was just geeking out. It was awesome listening to her. Yeah, sometimes I have to, like, smack myself a little bit and... <laughs> And come back to reality and go, no, it's not that big a deal. I don't just because right. I'd frozen that steak and there was some moisture loss in the bag. I don't have to inject the thing or do any of that. Like I can just cook the steak. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, it's good to kind of have some of that background to, to push you into that and, and get you to think about that. You know, I, it, it's always fun to to have those conversations. But, you know, what? now I've got to go home and try and make some bacon because I haven't done that in a hot minute. With with some uh, cherry powder? No, no, I'm not going to use cherry powder. I'm going to just go get some good old prog number two and call yep, it uh, absolutely call it good. Maybe even go get a little stuff to make some summer sausage with. I'm you feeling know, make, like fermentation. Make some bacon, and then you could have a bacon burger. You could put it on your Ooh, burger. Ooh, we are going to be talking about that. Yeah. So. 
You know, it is time now for our All Things Barbecue product spotlight. So check out www.atbbq.com at All Things Barbecue. That is where barbecue legends are made. So get fired up and get everything you need to do it all at All Things Barbecue. And, you know, for our product today, Todd, where are we headed with that? Well, we're talking burgers today. So uh, we need a burger press. I know I need one. I'm actually going to buy one of these. Uh, The Napoleon Grills Gourmet Slider and Burger Press Kit. So for 20 bucks, you not only get a burger press where you can shape your burger patties, but you also get another uh, twin uh, uh, slider press. So 20 bucks, Napoleon Grills. Uh, I bought a Napoleon Grill last year, gas grill. Love it. Cooked some burgers on it here last weekend. Uh, They turned out great. So, uh, yeah, let's talk some burgers. And, you know, that burger press, I wonder, can you use the little one inside the big one to make like a stuffed beer can burger where you make that, you know, make the the burger shape? Normally, you do it at the bottom of a beer can, and then you can load all of your grilled mushrooms and swiss and everything fancy andy you're so fancy Uh, you know i'm kind of bougie with (laughs) you are a little bougie with your burger little (laughs) burger bougie that's right that's Uh, exactly right (laughs) so let's talk about burgers what what's the uh well let's you know uh let's let's talk about meat right so you know uh what i i like doing a brisket burger and so when the you know when when ground beef prices have been so high it really makes sense to just buy a brisket at you know maybe three dollars four dollars a pound and grind it yourself because you're going to end up with a much better product than the ground beef you're going to buy in the store um so recently i had a couple of briskets and just cut them all up which was kind of hard at first taking and cubing up a whole packer brisket but when i do that uh, I like to separate as much as I can the fat from the from the meat so that I can kind of control when I'm grinding uh, how much of each is going in at the time. Uh, sometimes I'll actually grind them separate. I'll grind the meat and set that aside and then I'll grind the fat and set that aside and try to mix and incorporate so I'm doing a more even blend. Yeah, and if you think about, you know, if you're shopping at the grocery store for your ground beef, Maybe you're buying a 70-30 blend mm-hmm. and maybe you're buying a, a 90-10 or even, you know, I've seen the 98-2% ultra right. lean uh, ground beef. And obviously, if you're going for a healthier bent and that higher protein content, you're going to want a little bit leaner ground beef. If you want flavor, though, you know, and, and just said it last segment, that fat that's in that muscle structure is yeah. is what is is used as the vehicle to get that flavor to you. So for me, you know, even if it's going to be like a, a big, thick steakhouse style burger that you could use a little bit leaner meat on, I still love like a 70-30. Yeah. I want a, a good greasy burger, whether I'm smashing it or doing yeah. a big smoke. 70-30, 75-25 right in there. And from what I understand, that's about what you get if you grind a whole brisket. It's going to be about a 70-30. It might be a 75-25, but most times it's going to be a 70-30. So it really works great. And um, again, what I've understood from uh, meat scientists at uh, Certified Angus Beef is that um, the fat in a brisket is very monosaturated. So the fat in a in a in the brisket is is going to be a much better fat in your burger. It's going to melt really well, um, and it's going to perform really well. So. 
Um, I don't know. Do you have you ground brisket into burger? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I, I love to grind brisket and all, and like you said, you've got some trim floating around from from briskets that you've yeah. cooked. You know, I'll save all of my trim and I save the fat as well because I like to take and you know I do some dry aging too. So I'll pull off a little bit of of my dry age trim and then. Prior to putting it in, I'll pull any of those edges off so that I've got a nice round roast. And so I like to do brisket point with some strip loin. I love oh, yeah. a yep, good yep, strip yep. texture. And then chuck. So um, when you grind, I, what I've learned is um, to send it through twice. So the bigger holes on your die for your grinder, uh, send it through um, separate typically I'll separate the fat into one pile and the meat in, into another pile yep. but then I'll run it all back through again and then I'll toss um, and uh, I don't know, what other so so Chuck you like putting some Chuck in there yeah, you like I love some to strip put line. some Chuck and strip in with that mix and then you know there's there's some, like Pat Lafrida has got their million dollar burger blend I think it's got filet in it and yeah. some stuff like that which I mean that would create a, a nice texture and yeah, give you be a some different of that texture and give you that feel but for me if i eat a burger it's all about flavor and brisket point and chuck roast have a ton of flavor and strip is a really good steaky flavor and it's got a little bit of chew it doesn't get as soft as the as a ribeye when you cook it so i like that texture and flavor with that mix and i usually do like you know one to one to one if i can do it yep so, uh, cooking style. How do you like to do your do your burgers? Um, or I'm I'm using my gas grill right now, and I haven't used a gas grill in years, and I'm just really liking it. It performs really well. Um, I like to do about a oh maybe a third pound burger, and you know smash it down, put it on the grill. I I don't know about you, but I do not season the inside. You know, I don't mix seasoning into my grind. Um, I want that on the surface. Yeah, I don't absolutely. want it. I don't want it inside. And the other thing is, I'm not going to do. Even if I did, I wouldn't do that ahead of time. Like that's going to be, you know, season it and and throw it on the grill. And for me, I'm doing it one of two ways. I'm either throwing a griddle on the grill. Yep. And I'm doing a smash burger. So yep. I'll start with a quarter pound ball, and I've got a. I believe it's actually made by Blackstone, but it's a really nice. Uh, weight that's probably designed for bacon, yeah, bacon but press you can smash you can smash a burger and get it super thin and get those lacy yeah. edges yeah. and I'll do double burgers with, with cheese, smoked bacon, grilled onions in a pan on the gas yep. grill right next to that griddle and I can nail smash burgers or I'm going the other direction and I'm doing a big thick third pound yeah. that I can turn into like a beer can burger and stuff it full of all kinds of goodness. Alright, so uh, let's do a little speed round. Um... Uh, how do you like your burger done? Well, <laughs> shut up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the look on your face. I just, you get, I, you said speed round. I give you one word and the look on your face. I like it cooked. Well, how about that? <laughs> medium, medium rare for me. Medium, medium rare. rare for you. I'm uh, more of a medium, medium well guy. Yep, I like yep. a medium to medium. Well, I like it pink, I but do. I don't want it red because red to me well if i'm grinding my own i'm not as worried about it if i'm buying store-bought ground i always take it to medium all right cheese no cheese if cheese what kind of cheese always cheese smash burger american big burger pepper jack all right i agree with the american um i like provolone on a provolone is good on a burger all right so um uh dress how do you like it dressed 
Pickle, I'm, onion. I am super simple. Pickle, pickled onion, or grilled onion, bacon. Done. Okay. Oh, and maybe a little bit of like a grill sauce, sriracha mayo or something. Okay, okay. All right, so here's the, here's the, uh, here's the big one. Egg or no egg? Only for breakfast. You won't put in. You won't put a fried egg on a on a burger. No, not usually. It's, All right. I bet it'd be amazing though. But I just it's too much. Too much for me. All right. All right. Well, that is awesome. We want to thank Jess Priles again for joining us today. Check her out and subscribe to all of her content at JessPriles.com. And don't forget to head on over to ATBBQ.com and pick up our sauce of the month, which is Plowboy's Hothead Barbecue Sauce. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. And next week, we are going to bring you Megan Day with Burnt Finger Barbecue. For T-Bone Todd and myself, thanks for listening. We'll keep the pits lit right here on Barbecue Radio Network. Every Barbecue Radio Network show is archived and available through your favorite podcast platform each and every Thursday. 